Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by a great panel of guests. This includes Jonathan, Martin, and Will. Today, our topic of discussion will be the hidden return on investment within cybersecurity. Before we delve deeper into this topic, uh, let's work our way around the room and just have a quick introduction. So I'll start off with you, Jonathan. Perfect. Thank you, Josh. And firstly, thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm Jonathan Concannon. I'm the Group Information Security Manager at Boohoo Group PLC. <laughs> Boohoo, for people that don't know us, are a fashion brand, a British fashion brand consisting of 13 brands. Household names like Debenhams, Cameron Millen, Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing. Um, prior to Boohoo, I have 20 years experience of IT at varying levels from service delivery support, application support, up to the heady heights of information security. Um, lastly, in the, in the last 10 years, I focused solely on information security. Um, I'm looking forward to, obviously, the next few minutes, hours, how long it takes, and Martin and Will's um, has been established CISOs getting their viewpoint. I'm hoping it's a more than a, a few minutes anyway. That's what I like. Yeah, maybe we do that again. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, Martin, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, Josh, as well. Um, looking forward to it. My name is Martin Booth. I'm the um, Chief Information Security Officer for Dunhumby Limited, which is a Tesco group company. We're a data analytics company. We do um, customer data science, um, placement of items in supermarkets and replacement of um, supply chain items and all sorts of other um, stuff based on loyalty card schemes. We've got 900 odd million customer profiles around the world, um, about just under 3,000 people, a security team of 52. Um, and my job is um, to look after that 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 team and to um, and to run the security function. Um, before that, I was CISO at a, a finance organization, um, a tele- telco organization, and then way back before that, I was a consultant. So I've only ever done security, um, but I've done most most areas of security. So looking forward to having a chat today with with you guys. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, final, not well, last but not least, I'll say. Yeah, well, that's to be determined. Uh, my name is Ian Palmer. Um, until very, very recently, I was the CISO for um, a fincu- fintech disruptor company uh, that was the MSP for um, the financial services industry, uh, working for banks to uh, streamline their their uh, inefficient processes uh, within their, their their the banks that they had. Um, we also uh, were the global um, uh, distributor, distributor for um, uh, identifier, unique identifiers for uh, MIFID II uh, OTC derivatives. A uh, bit like Jonathan, I uh, cut my teeth um, working my way through um, the IT uh, ranks, starting at uh, an American investment bank, spent 16 years there working throughout the whole bank. Um, left there to join this company. Uh, for, it was uh, joined there in 2016. So um, took that company from having no information security profile at all, all the way through to um, getting or just about to get ISO 27001 accreditation, building out the team, um, both the information security team uh, in Manila, but also uh, building um, information security as a mindset within the firm. Brilliant, brilliant. Cheers, guys. Uh, so you've all prepared a question, like a subtopic around you know the hidden return on investment within cybersecurity. So 
essentially we'll walk around the room and uh, you'll each put forward your question, give a little topic context behind it, why you ask that question or statement. And uh, it's going to be quite a convers- uh, an easy conversation as I know you're very all, well, all very established within cybersecurity. So, uh, Jonathan, let's start with you. Thank you, Josh. Um, yeah, in terms of um, my statement, my question is um, the value of intangible assets when evidencing the ROI in cybersecurity. So, for me, the importance of making the intangible tangible, um, the how and the and the why on that really, making sure we can put a value to, like I say, the intangible is really important um, in my view. So. Yeah, looking forward to getting some feedback on that. So, Martin, oh no, well, feel free, feel free. Yeah, so it's your question is very similar to 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 my one, and it is it is something that coming from a a small owner operated firm where you know uh, they want to maximise profits and minimise costs, um, but dealing with people who come from the financial services sector, so metrics is king. The intangible was really, really tricky um, because you sort of have to think about what do they care about? And effectively, what they care about is their bottom line and how much they're going to take home and, you know, how big a house can they buy in Asia. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, you're right, there are intangible benefits. And, I, and you know, I think from, from my experience, because uh, we dealt with investment banks it was primarily, you know, you, you, you're only good as the, your reputation. And, you know, to, to sort of get that point across of, you know, it, it, you, you could spend you know 50 grand on a thing, but it, it could cost you the entire rep- reputation of your of your firm if we don't do it properly. And you had to do that in a way where you're not going to scare them, scare the producers out of them, but that they got the point, right? Um but the, again, putting the metrics around that, if you just said, well, it's going to close your firm, they're just looking and going, well, you're being ridiculous now. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you, it, it, that, that's that's the skill, that's the trick, um, the sort of free economics of it, if you like, to say, what is it that, that you really care about and how can I demonstrate that in pretty graphs and uh, succinct points where it's not reams and reams, you know, a one-pager of PowerPoint. Um where I can show you that what we do is of benefit, uh, and within these areas, and I, and I think, I think from from the, you know, I think I I had a quick think about your 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 question, and you know, we've got reputation. Um, obviously, you're only as good as, as your reputation. You know, um, if, if you get hacked and uh, you lose your um, a lot of your client data, then you're, you you know you, you, that's very difficult to come back from. Um, you know, if you can demonstrate that your cyber uh, security is of a standard where people trust it, so if you can get accreditations and those sorts of things, trust is very important. Um, they can protect your IP uh, and show how you can protect your IP um, and that you can protect your brand, but then that sort of comes back to reputation. But, um, you know, uh, and also that you've got your your staff on board and that you you know you do have information security as a mindset and if you can demonstrate that with i don't know your training awareness metrics or something that gives a really good picture if you can bundle all that up uh and and demonstrate that to the board uh, it'd be very hard for them to come out and say yeah but what are you really doing i don't know that's that's just my thoughts on it yeah jonathan obviously feel free to, to reply sort of thing it is quite an open conversation like i said 
Yeah, it's exactly that. I think there's there's definitely things you can do to to evidence that back, and there's whether that's you know the data you've got internally or or even data that's out there in terms of if you just look at data breaches, for instance, and you know the average of how much they they cost globally. Um, you know, you can offset that regarding controls, etc. You know, there's there's reports out there that, that can support that. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good take from from Will. Um, yeah, I'm interested to to see what Martin's take is on it. Yeah, yeah, let's go, Martin. If you're, uh, if you're, you know, um, I guess it's probably tangential as um as a, as a lot of stuff I say often is. Um, I think the problem the problem with intangible assets, I suppose, from my perspective, is that is is how to quantify the value that you get from them, right? So I think there's I think it's very easy to sell to your to your board and to your exec executive committee that that obviously in reputation is important, but I think there's there's two problems with that. You know, how do you how do you quantify the level of risk? So most people use use impact versus likelihood. That's a relatively inelegant scale, um, and it's very difficult to, to to provide much quantification behind it. So you know, why did you choose four and a half rather than five, for instance? Um, no, no one knows. Um, apart from you know, the chart didn't look quite right. Is most the most of the responses that I get, or to bring it in line with normalize it with the other risks that we're looking at, which are outside of kind of the scope of cyber. Um, so I think that's one problem. And then in terms of quantifying the risk, and then secondly, I think, you know, working out how much you've actually reduced your risk by by putting, in control in place, putting controls in place is the other area. You know, in my experience, I guess, boards typically are more, are more aligned to finances than they are to risk. Um, and therefore, they like to say, well, if I put this money in, what am I, what am I getting back as an exact, um, exact um, return on that, on that investment? And I think that it's really difficult to do that with these kind of things. Um, so it's difficult to say, well, if you pay, if you pay, you know, 200 grand now, then then the likelihood of us having a 20 million pound breach is reduced. But how much was it in the first place and how much have you reduced it by is, is almost impossible to, to quantify. So it's a really difficult, it's, it's almost, you know, an R and, and without having a really good level of trust with your board, it's really difficult to convince them of anything like that because let's face it, they don't really know if you're right in the first place. They don't really know if you're right after you put the control in place. It's just whether or not they trust you to be able to make those decisions most effectively and and to make them in line with whatever else you're doing. So it's difficult. I mean, I suppose the only the only suggestion I can say in terms of making it easier is, is by getting that quantification better. So I, I think we're on the journey with a lot of other organizations where we start to look at um, quantification frameworks so things like fair um so we can get a better understanding and underpinning of why why have we decided that's that's that much of an impact to the business versus that and then homogenizing those risks so that we're looking at them in the same lens and then saying okay well this one is up here so we need to spend that amount in order to mitigate it and that seems reasonable that is the only way i think of kind of translating it into accounting speak for me and i can't tell you if it works or not because we haven't finished there yet at the moment we're still in the we're, we're very much still in the camp of um this seems like a good idea based on all the risks we're looking at. This is the one I would probably focus on, you know, and this is where I'd like to spend my money, which I think is where most people are changing that into, look, based on all of our risk, this is the one that's biggest to the organization across all of our kind of controls and environments and looking at all of our vulnerabilities. Um, and this is how much I want to put into that. And that is proportional to where we're committing other controls, which I think is where the finance side of the boards want to get to. So, yeah, I guess that's my my kind of answer, but I don't think that the quantification frameworks are anywhere near mature enough to really get late just yet. No, and, and the, the issue that you've got is if you start the fair the fair institute uh, metrics are really, really good if you're into measuring risk and you're talking to people who are, inter- are interested in looking at risk. 
right? Because, you know, uh, the board want pretty colours and they want, red, you know, red, amber, green, and they want to know how that is going to translate into pounds. Um, but then it only takes one person on that board who, you know, potentially has a first in mathematics from Oxford to turn around and go, yeah, but what does that really mean? And you just sat there just going, well, it's it's amber. It must mean something. <laughs> but you're, um, you're quite right. But I guess that was my point really is, you know, because I think the quantification piece is, as for me, you know, I need to know that I'm making yeah. the right decisions. I think I am because I've got a lot of experience and anecdotally it looks right. But actually, it would be great if we could say demonstrably, yes, that was the right decision and it was proportionally the right spend. So I think for me, it's about that. I think, you know, translating that into board pack is still going to be red, amber, green. But when somebody says, well, what does that actually mean? We can then show them some actual stuff underneath it, which says, well, actually, we have done this properly. It isn't just a finger in the air estimate, which at the moment, largely, it probably is. So, Well, if you can make it defensible, you know, uh, and repeatable, and you're using the same thing over and over again for all of your risks, you know, I think that's a good standing. If you can demonstrate that and stand behind it, um it, it, again it would take somebody um who who probably knows more than you do to argue against it but i also think jonathan's um you know response of well let's have a look outside of our firm let's have a look at you know uh at gartner let's have a look at um the, the ncsc let's have a look at some other other sectors outside of our, where we operate and you know look at the metrics there and look at similar sized firms and you know use our network of 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 uh csos and information security analysts to to bolster our opinion and if you can point them to like like jonathan said to recent hacks and and gartner reports and, and things like that that then helps bolster these these intangible benefits uh uh because you know what how else are you going to do it, it it's it's hard to get it through their minds you can't just say because i think it's a good idea <laughs> it doesn't work. yeah and, and that's and that's exactly the the conundrum with it isn't it and you know there is data to support these things the average cost of a data breach is going up year on year oh god uh, and the number of data breaches are going up exponentially right yeah now yeah now we've got ai which is a whole different conversation absolutely um but not one for that for this session no. um you know it's the total cost versus total benefit and you know it's i, I think will uh, Martin made a really good point regarding risk quantification, which intrinsically linked to it. But, you know, is is the way that we're viewing risk now with the, you know, five by five livelihood and impacts is, you know, is is that flawed in in its design? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It it, it is. But um, you know, the maths involved in doing it properly will revolve, will evolve into a team of people who is ju it's just their job to do that. You're going to need quants eventually. To be able to do this properly with very high-powered machines to work this out in, in, and give spit out numbers that are um, it can be absorbed by the right audiences. Yeah, that just feels like there's an element of like, and I think mine says this as well, but intuition when it comes yeah. to that. Well, let's face it, that five by that five by five chart is just a um, visual representation of your sort of preconceived notions, right? So you've yeah. already decided what it is. And you might be wrong and you might you might be right. In some cases, it's probably a bit of both. But um, that's the worry for me is it's all based on what you think is right. And, you know, and having said that, it depends what level of, of detail, right? I mean, there are there are risk assessment models where they go well beyond that and look at, you know, the likelihood of initiation and things like that. But at the top level, there isn't, I don't think many organizations are looking to, to quantify their risks at the moment. And if they, if, 
and therefore they're just relying on having the right people in the right place. And I think, you know, even if you make the right decision 99% of the time, which would make you pretty awesome, you've still got a number of decisions you're making that are not spot on, right? <laughs> so, And then you have to be able to, to demonstrate the measurement of those once you've implemented them too, right? You have to keep coming back to them and saying, look, we did this and it worked, or we did this and maybe not so much. And, mm. uh, uh, and you know, they, you'll have to refer back to the metrics you gave previously. Um, and there's very little point in turning around and saying, well, we stopped X amount of uh, uh, attacks this month because some bright spark in the room will say, well, what about the ones you didn't st stop? Um, and then that becomes, a, that becomes a very difficult conversation. So you need to be very careful about how you go and um, uh, demonstrate these, these, these risk matrix and the controls around them. Brilliant. So that was honestly amazing to listen to, especially as a recruiter who does this side of thing, you know, like not hands-on every day like you guys are um it's so interesting listening to this side of thing i know that the listeners as well are gonna gonna eat this up sort of thing as well such an interesting topic um well as your question kind of you know leads from well uh jonathan sorry do you want to go ahead with yours yeah so it, mine was about i mean i guess you could say intangible and hidden are the same um but uh mine was about the hidden returns of investment um that organizations can expect from investing in cybersecurity measures. And, you know, I've got a brand reputation, which we've already spoken about. Um, you know, increased productivity is, is could be a good metric to have in there. Um, you know, if, if your systems go down for whatever reason, because that you've been attacked um, by whatever, some bright spark opening the wrong email and, and then it takes your desk down or whatever, that's productivity time lost, which you can actually quantify and put back to the board and say you know do you want your department to be down for let's say i don't know four hours ten hours four days depending on how it's how it's all strung together you know you could lose x amount um i think regulatory compliance as well you know if you're in a regulated space if you could demonstrate that your measures match up to what um the regulators are expecting you to um you know uh, not just ISO 27001, but, you know, um, NIST as well and uh, PCI and, and a, a bunch of other, you know, FedRAMP, those sorts of regulations. If you can demonstrate or that th the controls uh, that you want to put in place will help you tick those boxes with those regulators, that's a really big win. Um, and the boards would lap that up because uh, if you just say FedRAMP says this or NIST says this, um, or I said 27,001 dictates we need to do this. A any any board or company worth its salt will, will take notice of that, and they will probably say how much. Um, again, if you if you're then part of those, if you then follow those those regulatory uh, mandates, then your uh, risk of um, legal liability should go down. Nothing's absolute, but you know if you can demonstrate that you adhere to those frameworks and those regulations then you know the, the chances of you being sued by uh, or fined by those regulators will go down as well because regulators know that you stuff happens but if you can show that you've done the best you can to mitigate against those uh those types of attacks or that you, you you're protecting your your environments then you know they will turn around and say well okay i mean we still have to fine you because something bad happened but it's not going to be massive amounts and we're not going to drag your name through the mud we'll probably do it through the back door so that 
you know, um, your reputation is still intact. Um, but equally, you know, you, if you, it, it should, you know, rising, a rising uh, tide lifts all boats, right? So if you can, if you can do all this intangible, hidden um, returns on investment type stuff, your whole cybersecurity uh, profile should go up. And that, if you can demonstrate that, Again, I think Martin is probably best place to to say how you could demonstrate that. But in my view, you know, if you can show that the whole your whole maturity model or maturity level has gone up because of these these um, uh, hidden return on investment items that you've put in place, I think that's a really good story all around. Um, so those are my thoughts. Uh, anyway, uh, on this, I mean, I, I'd be interested. You know, you 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 both work for really big firms, so. Um, you know, I, you, you weren't, I was very close to it because I was talking directly to the board, but, you know, you'll have layers in between um, you and, and your boards potentially. I just wondered uh, what you thought and how those would be, how that would be digested through through those ranks. Yeah, Martin, uh, do you want to, to start off there? Oh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, you raised a really interesting point. I think my kind of tangent used to on this is that is that we should be, the outcomes that we're targeting should be, the the hidden the hidden benefits of um of security i think is what we should be targeting when we, we we're typically measured by um tangible outputs so you know have i created i've got i'm running a transformation program at the moment over three years i'm, I'm largely um i'm largely measured on whether or not i've hit those those transformation targets which largely are linked to maturity uplifts on on NIST as it happens in this case but i think that the, the strategy that i wrote when i joined a year ago to kind of get us where we needed to be was more aligned to um, being more supportive and enabling of the business so that they can they can sell their products more easily, right? We're a data-based business. Security, at the, I suppose, it wasn't forefront. It's always been important, but it wasn't forefront of those bids, whereas in my view, it should be. Um, so they should be saying, look, you should do business with us because we run a really good security program. Yeah. That's kind of a hidden benefit because it, it, you know, in theory, we should be selling more work because of the work that we do, not you know, restricting the way people work and, and making it more difficult for people to operate. It's more about it's more about making sure they understand the risks that they are being exposed to and that they have the tools available to either make a decision or they know where to go to get the right decision. And all that stuff will translate to, I think, um, you know, improved working practices. The fact that we've got reduced likelihood of breach, obviously there's a lot of protection of, of tangible stuff like the bottom line and not having to pay fines and, and losing customers. But I think it's it should be flipped on its head and we should be targeting outcomes, which is, you know, X number of bids a year or one because security was up there and better than um, some of our competitors. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what we've been trying to target with strategy, even though the measurement of how successful I am isn't against those things directly. Um, that's how we measure the overall effectiveness or I measure the overall effectiveness of the department. So I think there's loads of stuff that you can look at in terms of hidden benefits. Um, but the most important one for me, I think, is how well we enable the business and we collaborate with them to create kind of a security culture. And that includes things like being hard on people when we need to be, but also allowing people to make mistakes and come to us and not and 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 not immediately throwing them under the bus because um, otherwise the next time somebody won't come to us and then we've got a bigger problem. So there's, yeah, I think there's loads of stuff there that you can do about culture. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits of security by driving through a really sensible and kind of collaborative culture um, that is very difficult to quantify, very difficult to um, measure against directly, 
but equally is is really important and if you get it right then you you become sort of a strategic lever for the business rather than just a cost center yeah you don't want to be the department of no right um you 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 know you you do want to be able to uh go and speak to the, the business and process owners uh and work like you say collaboratively with them to say look i understand how your processes work uh, i understand um, you, you know, you're you're end to end, but uh, have you thought about the risks inherent in this piece or in that piece? And you know, and and you know, when you're writing your policies and when you're writing your your guidelines and frameworks, you definitely should be talking to these guys, right? Because there's no point in you saying, "Well, you have to do it this way," and then the developers get in and go, "But we can't do that," uh, because then it's not worth anything. So, you, and and then just through those conversations, you start to become not just the SME, but you know the the collaborative uh, counterpart in in new projects in you know somebody will go oh we're thinking about doing this well maybe we should give martin a call and just let him know that this is what we're thinking and 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 then like like i said you know a rising tide lifts all boats and and that builds um information security as a mindset which is again intangible uh because i don't know how you measure it but if you're if you're i'm interested martin how are you uh quantifying or how do you find out if you're winning bids based off the back of being uh being secure or, or having a a secure program it's a great question <laughs> seeing you agreeing and jonathan just sat in your chair going this is amazing this is amazing <laughs> stuff. um yeah um come back next week and I'll, no, i'm joking <laughs> ask the listeners um the truth is we haven't yet so um it's a metric we're building out our metric stream at the moment and i'll talk a little bit about that because this is very much related to the question i was um, that I posed around uh, data-driven decisioning. Um, it's one of the few areas where we haven't yet identified. One of the metrics we are looking at is how many times security is mentioned in bids, either positively or negatively. So we've got a couple on negative. We're, we're not ISA certified at the moment. Should we be? Maybe. Um, and we've had a couple of positives. You know, yes, they liked the they liked our security program, some of the maturity that we were showing versus some of our competitors. So I think that's one very basic metric. In terms of further than that, my metrics reporting stream will have to determine that when they arrive. Um, they just don't know yet because they haven't them got it yet. Be very interesting to see. I mean, from my experience, um, you know, client contracts and looking at how, like when you said mentioning uh, information security, cybersecurity, how many of those contracts don't mention cybersecurity, information security? Uh, and I was dealing with, you know, banks you you would think it would be top of the you know they've got slas they've got all that sort of stuff for the service but very little i had to go through lots of contracts and it was like well this is easy you know they can't have us on anything because it's not in the contracts um but they should be and and you know i think it's that's probably going to change but you're right if you can then say well we won this business and there was a big bit of information security in the contract and we could tick all those boxes woohoo you know that is now worth X amount of millions to the firm. I feel, I feel, well, that's that's definitely going to change as as this is as this is growing. Um, I think it will be the norm for people to expect certain standards, controls, um, evidence back in that space. Um, but yeah, I wanted to circle back to the fostering of a of a good cyber culture, um, security awareness, etc. It's a really important point. This I, I don't know how to make this tangible necessarily. Except for giving obviously stats back on course completion, etc. But I think it's really important. And Martin, you make this point about you know not going in with the stick, you know, because if you could be prone to maybe you know putting people off and being approachable, or I think there's a different way of of going about it rather than saying right, well you've clicked on this link and 
and you know and, and coming down that it's how you word it, it's how you phrase it and also how you how you foster that culture um that also in itself links back to what will said regarding productivity and it, you know that it all all stems from you know fostering a good culture whether that be um security awareness or not but yeah it's uh some really interesting points you said a lot of it for me um but yeah i think for me some some hidden and um, ROIs for me is you know if we're looking at insurance and the way insurance is gone um i think you know uh, from a personal point of view you know being able to evidence back those controls those thorough controls you know that could lead to lower premiums etc some would might say that that insurance is going to be, you know, non-existent for cyber in a few years. Yeah, I was going to say if you can get cyber, yeah. yeah. But one thing's for certain: if you're, if you've got strong security controls in place and you can evidence that back, that could be the difference between I don't know a ten million and a eight million premium. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you understand where where I'm going with it, and and the new business opportunities as well. Obviously, depending on sector, um, you know, there'll be certain industries and certain sectors that mandate um, certain privacy, certain data protections, so. I think there are some key elements to pick out. Um, the other one for me is attracting talent and keeping all the talent. Um, I don't know whether um, Martin and Will are with this view, but you know, if there's a, I don't know, if you're if you've got a major breach on your hands or you've had a major breach on your hands, I've been part of that. You know, attracting that talent in once that's happened, or even retaining the talent once you've you've come through that other side. Um, maybe some credence in that you know you'd pick an organisation that maybe wasn't in the tabloids for a major cyber attack. I don't know. Um, but it's a uh, it's an interesting point to ponder. Mm-hmm. I like your, um, your your security awareness uh, for the general populace stuff. I think one metric you could have that is is hidden or intangible is it, you know, and this goes to Martin's point as well. If you can if you make your department uh, available, then you know you could measure how many times uh, are you getting reports from people asking whether this is right or not i mean you know in office 365 especially there's you know you can report stuff and report emails you can click on buttons you can do all sorts of things and if you're if you are if you have done it right people won't worry about sending you something and saying i'm worried about this or i'm reporting this or so i've just had a phone call about x and i didn't give them anything but i wanted to know you know can you check this email and i think you know that is really important because a, a that's bringing your department to the forefront of everyone's mind um, but equally, it means that they're thinking about security as well. And, you know, if you can get them to do that in their day-to-day business, like I said, you know, security is a people problem, right? Um, then I think that's a really good metric to have. You could say every month we've had X amount of people reporting and reporting uh, issues, potential issues that they've found. Out of those, we found that, you know, X percentage was nefarious and we, we managed to, you know, as us as a firm, not just this office of the CISO, but us as a firm, worked to protect the firm by you know not letting these the, these things come come to rise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, Josh. Um, no, I was just going to. Obviously, I don't have too much of these conversations, but I have actually got a question that I, could, I would like to ask. There, uh, we've got a protecting people podcast coming up soon that I'm hosting, uh, like protecting people from people essentially and insider threat. Just quickly, can you just touch on? How would you create that culture within, you know, businesses? Because if you're just working within your cybersecurity team and heading up that team, how would you then extend that to the larger scale of the business, whether that be, you know, at Boohoo, whether it be, you know, someone who's picking items maybe out of a warehouse or if it's a bank, whether it be a bank teller sort of thing. Yeah, that's quite American, that one tip, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's, it's subjective. So um, 
working at Boohoo for the last 10 months. You can make it relatable. I think it's important as well. I don't necessarily like the word champions, but having those across the business, um, stakeholders, we've got a governance level of, you know, steering groups, working parties. Um, I know this isn't revolutionary at all, but, you know, fostering that and also looking at the demographic of your organization. So um, we've done plenty around that to, to tailor it for our needs, should we say. So um, the organization relate to that in terms of um, whether that be a buyer, a merchandise or those kind of things. But you can you can make it relatable to the organization you're working in. I think that's really important. You need to know the context of your organization and, and the people that you're dealing with. But um, like I say, going back to Martin's point, um, you need to make that a safe environment for people yeah i think we've we've tried to expand on that a little bit i think you're right um and we've what we've tried to do is the champions word is banned and i suspect you you feel the same about it i don't like the word um champion so we and we have different we have different roles in the business for different people so we have data guardians in some of our businesses we've got um we've got security we have some security champions we've got some some risk um some risk analysts that we have that sit within the business but but leveraging those programs across different disciplines has been quite important and the way we've done that is by providing um they, they volunteer into the program we provide a structured training path for them as um as recompense i suppose so they give up some of their time with the with the agreement of their managers we provide training they provide the, the part and the other thing we've had some benefit in is by tweaking the awareness program to make it focused on kind of home and family life um, you know, good pass- password hygiene and looking for phishing emails. Yes, it's important for work, but actually, I think people find it more compelling when they realise that that we that, that some of the tips that they get can help their families to avoid those those risks as well. Um, and even expanding some of the tooling like password vaults, etc., for their for their families to use so that they can get they can fully immerse in it, and then they they that provides them with better kind of hygiene at work. So there's a couple of ways that we've seen some benefits because before that there was kind of patchy engagement I would say about awareness and we've tried we've tried to to reel that up by, by really driving it home for them. We used to do something really really shocky into uh, uh, Hacktober where we'd send out emails uh, around just detailing just one thing you know as you say password hygiene or phishing emails or those sort of things just send those out by emails. But one thing that we that I used to do that we uh, we used to get quite good feedback on was do A, lunch and learns, uh, and B, if there were any uh, all-hands meetings, um, I would ask for five, ten minutes just to just to say, look, we're here. This is what we do. This is how you interact with us. I have a SharePoint site which you could go to and have all the information that you needed. It had a little ticketing thing in there if you wanted to log any tickets. It also had our email, you know, and, and to do a little bit of a sales pitch to the rest of the firm to say, look, this is we are here. We're not just at the end of an email will not these 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 faceless people um you know this is what we do we're here to help you if you have any questions come and see us you know we're very friendly um and uh, uh you know we're here we're here just like you to uh, protect the firm so that fundamentally we all get paid at the end of the month yeah i'm um, i'm glad martin talked around making that personable it gives an element of validation to to the way that I've approached it previously at another organization as well. Um, you know, just simply relating it to being as important as it is professionally, personally. So <clears throat> securing your, you know, your Instagram account, your Facebook account, your social media, your LinkedIn, use the same principle. Use the same principle as you would with your bank account. Yeah. As you would with your your credentials. They're important assets to the organization. And and that had a big impact on the last organization in terms of uptake of that cyber program. Um so yeah, it's it's good to get that feedback. 
being being in Boohoo, Jonathan, do you your guys you must have BYAD on your mobile devices, right? So it must be, and if you're if you're on TikTok and Instagram and that, I mean, a it must be a massive worry. But then you need to make sure that going across to people that their phones is going to be their biggest entry point for threats into both their their personal life and to and into their the the business world too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we we use TikTok as a as a platform to sell. So, um, yeah, outside of that, yeah, and you know, this is this is firmed up, isn't it? Regarding the, what we just talked about, but the messages we give to staff, <clears throat> the awareness, and um, yeah, like I say, we've we've we're doing a lot in that piece. There's still a lot to go. Um, I'm ten months into the role, and um, the security team is still in its infancy, but. Yeah, we've seen some real impact from making that more personable. And like I say, judging the demographic of the organization as well is really important. But um it'll lead on to data driven decisioning, I guess. Um, which is which is really, really important. But yeah, there's lots of learning throughout through that experience. Brilliant. Thanks for uh, obviously uh, it was a different road down than uh, the return on investment, but it was interesting. Uh Martin, uh if you'd like to go with your question or statement sort of thing that you've uh, put forward. Oh sure, yeah, I guess it's Probably more of an assertion, but we'll see how um we'll see how we go. Um, so for me, it was about um demonstrating the return on investment through um data driven decisioning, and I'll explain what I mean by that before you got if you don't mind before you guys jump in. Um, to give me your thoughts. We when I spoke a bit a little bit earlier about intuitive decision making, I think that that's kind of inherent part of any security person's sort of psyche. That's they're good at that on a on a probably somewhat inconsistent basis. Um. And applying that kind of regularly and in, 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 in the right way across a full organization is very, very difficult to do. Um, and one way of trying to tackle that, um, I quite like data personally, and I have worked, this is my second database business I've worked for, so it kind of makes sense, um, has been to use the data that we have from the myriad of security systems that we have and draw that into a kind of centralized reporting system like a Power BI or a Click or um, one of those other kind of management information systems. And then use that as a vehicle to engage back with the business. So uh, my last organization, we're working on this now here, but in my last organization, um, when I left, we had um, Click we used, um, which again is a management information system, not un- not unlike Power BI. Um, and it had 5 million data points across, you know, our risk management platform, our, um, our SOCs, our vulnerability systems, all of those things. And it was tracking all of those data points through for us. We can then use those to present them in different ways and we used it for different effect we would highlight issues when things were getting older than they should have done and were going to be flagged the next risk committee um we would create divisional comparisons and then assign them to the divisional owners so they could see where they were against um against their peers um which which created some kind of competition um and then we'd allow drill down so that once they could once they could see where they were divisionally they would drill down and see business units okay how is that business unit comparing to that business unit are we more exposed risk levels and for me that's how to the board once we're past the kind of right we've reduced the likelihood and impacts we spoke about earlier that's how we've started to, to demonstrate the journey by which we are creating value for the business which is how we're reducing risk over time because all of those metrics largely report to some kind of reduction in risk level and if things are going in the right way and we explain this on the graphs you know if the if the trajectory is going the right way and there's usually a target level and we're getting towards that target level it's a good thing if it's moving away it's a bad thing you need to do something about it and that's kind of where where we settled and those those five million data points largely translated into five or six pages of kpis kris um that would that would have been set up to incentivize the business to make decisions that would help us to reduce risk 
And if we're moving in the right way, then the business as a whole is reducing risk in the areas that we feel are key controls. So for me, demonstrating return on investment, at least at the operational level, which can then be abstracted into something for the board, you know, and that 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 usually varied. Uh, but at least at the operational level, we can demonstrate that by by trending risk reductions and control maturity uplift um, in all of the areas that we have. And we can normally do that in a semi-automated way um, and, and usually on kind of up to an hourly basis so that we can really see what's going on within the business. So that's kind of my assertion really. And I'm, I'm sure you guys can tell me whether or not you think it's valid or whether or not you, you think it's possible. But we had a lot of success in my last business with creating that competition, getting buy-in because people, as you say, will earlier, the, the execs were then looking at charts and going, okay, I can see that we're moving. I don't necessarily understand the exact components that make it up, but I can see we're moving in the wrong direction and therefore we need to do something about it. And then ask me, what do we do about it? And I say, well, we can do this and we can do that. That'll go quicker. It'll go, this will go slower. Um, this is more expensive. That's cheaper. And then we'll come to a, a, an agreement on where we're going and then we can track how how much that's improving things once we've made the decision. Brilliant. Jonathan, have you got anything to uh, you know, add to that or not? Yeah, I'm not sure that I could do it justice as Martin did, but um, yeah, I think fundamentally, um, that is great, by the way. Uh, you need good quality data, don't you, fundamentally, to be able to to drive these decisions. And um, I'd be interested, was was there an exercise regarding making sure that, you know, data wasn't incomplete, it, the you know, integrity of the data was there prior to, yeah, to getting it was to painful. that point? We found some... We found some APIs that were, that were giving up dodgy data as well. So yeah, we had some had some quality issues. Yeah, and um, it, it's that piece. And in terms of tying this back to the return of investment, in terms of key risk indicators um, and the KPIs, um, would you literally be evidencing the return of investment of I don't know a specific control or a set of controls in that data? Um, what did that look like? Yeah, and I think it depends, right? Because return on investment can mean a number of things. Um, in a lot of our cases, it was how quickly are you going to re- reduce the risk to an acceptable level? What is that acceptable level? So what's the target? Um, and if we increased or reduced the cost, how much would that impact that that um, estimated trajectory? You know, so if we, if we were going to put in half the money, would it take twice the time? Or if we put in double the money, would it take half the time? And and then I suppose it's always about where that balance point is. And, and that's always a risk-based decision. So, um, and I can't, I can't get those estimations... Um, always very accurate but we can draw a line in the sand and say do you want to go quicker or do you want to go slower or is this the level of investment that you guys are comfortable with excellent um yeah i'm gonna hand over to will to see what yeah yeah well what is what are your thoughts yeah, on it's that? interesting isn't it because it's 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 not opinion it's counting um so you know it's it's hard to argue against um i'm just thinking about if i had to do this sort of now and i and i had how many did you say Five, eight million data points or something five million yeah five million data points um and all that all that data coming from different areas being of different values variables all sorts yep. how you how you take how you manage the variance of well this this might be a little thing this might be a really big thing but it's come through as a number how do we manage that i mean the amount of effort and work to 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 rationalize all that now i guess you're in the database company so that's your bread and butter right but um uh that, that's 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 quite a big deal and then to be able to put it into a, a um digestible format um you know i i think from my experience anyway 
uh, having you know five to eight pages of data uh, i just wouldn't get the board to look at it so um it it that, that that's that is for me where where i would probably come unstuck is to try and figure out what the top i don't know five items were and talk about those um whilst managing that amount of data and getting it into a format well, where it all matches yeah i should qualify the five million it was that the the premise was we should get as much data as we can into the platform so that if we need to ask questions the data is available so we were only processing and drawing insights from a tiny fraction of that but when somebody on the board went through the board pack, which is about 16 pages long, I said, and the CEO did go through every one, would pick one, ask me the most detailed of questions. Yeah, of course. We already have a trend that we can extrapolate from that question because we have the data available to us. So the the, the premise was, where do you, what data, what data questions do you want to ask at one end, but also how much can we load in at the other end so that we know that we can answer as many questions as possible that we don't yet know have been asked. Mm. And it'd be great for creating things like heat maps and 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 that sort of stuff, right? So you can, um, and those those big word graph things where you have the big words for the amount of items and they go down to smaller things, you know, trying to zoom it up a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if if you if you can get your hands on that data and you have the the skills in house to be able to uh, uh, extrapolate it and interpret it in a way that is manageable, I think that's really really important because it's it's inarguable. Uh, as long as you say that you 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 are you can put your hand in your heart and say the data sources are are producing good data because uh, only takes one smart aleck in the room to go well actually we've looked at it and the data's wrong and then that's you're out the window. Oh gone yeah, um, and we did have we did have those issues initially, and we started you know a process by which we didn't release new data sets until we were confident that we could kick the tires um, sufficiently. But it's you know it's a learning curve, and I think those. Those mistakes, as long as they weren't catastrophic, the business was comfortable that we were that we were largely, you know, within fifteen percent of kind of the right answer. That it was, it still was inf- useful information, even if we had a few outliers that we hadn't quite ironed out the process. And I think if you're turning around and saying, "Look, do you want opinion or fact?" They'll say, "We want fact, right?" But it takes a while to to uh, work through the 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 bugs and and the data to make sure it's consistent. Um, you're never going to get that right on the first round. And it makes the decisions because I've always, as part of the transformation program, I've always told the board, I've said, you know, your choices about how we run transformation work, you know, maturity uplift is, um, there's usually three variables and that is doing it well, doing it cheaply and doing it quickly. And you can have any two of those um, and you choose which ones those are. And, but it makes that decision with the data underneath it much more easy for them to understand what that means, which is, you know, do you want to, and the well one's the one that I don't, compromise on so it's quickly or, or cheaply is their options and um and they can decide that based on the risk and how much the burn down is going to come so it's a really useful vehicle to say look how quickly do you want this to go away also i would say for those security leaders listening that it takes some of the burden off of our shoulders because this decision that they're making not just we're making yeah, and it goes sure. through our governance committees right to say we have a steer co here with senior leaders and i put these questions in front of them not just because it's useful to have their input. It is, but it's also because it shouldn't just be one person that, that is that's owning the accountability for those decisions. It should be a group of people making it on behalf of the business. And equally, if you can, if you go back to, you know, those business owners and process owners, and and to get them on board, and you've already had those conversations, it makes it much easier at the board level because you're not going to have somebody coming up from behind and going, "We don't agree." It's already been communicated. Exactly, yeah. it's, already, it's already been agreed. 
it's just rubber stamping it at the board as long as everybody is agrees that that's okay and you can you can you can the numbers back up the decisions and the right people in the room are saying yeah and yeah, no, we've seen it already and, and and we agree and it, you know we agree with the costs or we agree that we want it done quickly um and the risks that we understand the risks that are inherent in those decisions so uh my time to shine now with my question uh you've all been technical and uh, great so um obviously the businesses that you guys are in fintech banks uh retail and are driven around customers so how can investments within cybersecurity help companies build trust with the, like well with the customers essentially and what role does trust play when we're looking at return on investment of cybersecurity uh jonathan if you want to start feel free yeah so um it's interesting when it comes to trust <clears throat> i think this is also um industry specific as well um it's hard to gauge that in terms of how much let's use an example of a data breach um for um an online fashion retailer how that's going to affect um customers returning um conversion rates those kind of things i think you can definitely quantify the damage done by a data breach you know the data is out there but in terms of um customer loyalty trust um i don't know it'd be interesting to see what the impact of the total breach was you know in terms of their customer base so it's a really interesting topic um i don't have any data or analytics about that i don't know if i'm honest maybe something that that martin could could chip into or, or or will um but yeah for me it's fundamental obviously i work in security um reputationally um customer trust is 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 something that's paramount and there's things you can do you can survey your customers you can create focus groups you can get feedback but quantifying the real impact of a major data breach <clears throat> i'd say this is very much like i say industry specific um is 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 a tough one i'd say but yeah interesting to get what will and martin's feedback is on that yeah martin if you want to you know have a pop at that yeah i think it's an um, interesting point you start off with Jonathan, I think um, for me, probably not dissimilar to you, it's about, I mean, it's no different from trust for people or relationships, is it? It's very difficult to build and very easy to very easy to throw away. And um, so for, for me, it's about not having breaches, but being, but being prepared as possible to reduce the impact of a breach with good incident response procedures, if and when they do happen and to minimize the impact. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's really as simple as that. That's how we generate we, de we demonstrate value to the business by that trust building and i think it links back into all of the points that everyone's made around how businesses survive where the importance of those businesses are why why security are here in the first place but also i would say this like deviation from that and where i think the evolution for the security leadership is that it isn't at the moment it's on my shoulders if we have a breach at every organization i've worked for um i think the cultural shift in in me if there's a metric around it would to, to how successful it had been would be that the accountability is split across the business, right? You know, this isn't just me. I'm here to advise. We set up policies and procedures to protect the business. If somebody does something stupid, that is on them. It's not on necessarily somebody in my team that made a bad call. But we're not quite there yet. If there's a security breach at the moment, it's the security team's responsibility. I think for a database business, that's wrong and needs to change. And in order to create that trust, everyone in the business needs to know that they have a small part to play in that. And if they if they behave properly, then the whole business is much less likely to erode the custom their trust the cust the trust of their customers. Brilliant. Will anything? Any thoughts? Yeah, it's it's slightly different because our clients were predominantly banking institutions, so um, we worked. We didn't have the millions of customers that that 
uh, Boohoo have or whatever. So you know, we could react, we could interact with these guys one on one, and a communication it was the key for us, right? We would have regular calls with these with these clients. Um, we would uh, every year where we'd have to fill out all their questionnaires. Um, but you, you know, what Martin was t- talking about having a security in- incident response plan and training uh, and running through those plans, both both you know desktop and then simulated, if you like, uh, within a business, so that you know that starts to instill the the security is everyone's responsibility mindset in saying, well, look, I'm going to ring you, Mister. Uh, manager and director of your firm uh, and let you know that somebody did this and we you know they have been trained we can show that they've gone through all the security awareness training and they still did this we're fixing it i'll give you a call every hour to let you know how it's going on but you know i've got in the devs teams i've pulled in all the right people we're working through the plan but you do need to understand that you know no amount of us uh, having all these protections and controls in place can replace stupid and uh that's you know that needs to be communicated out you don't have to do it like that necessarily but um you know it, 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 again if you can make sure through all your security awareness trainings through your um your lunch and learns through your hands meetings and, and being out there and communicating um and allowing people to come to you with with questions and issues uh potential issues um that that then builds up th- that that resilience that security uh, awareness um so that you're all sort of moving in the same direction uh but i think communication is a key as well so when you do have a breach you're, you're letting people know right away all the key stakeholders your clients your key clients um and letting them know that you know you're still looking at it and the impact is still being weighed up and i'll call you back and you know and call feel free to call me this is my number blah 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 um because you know anyone anyone you can't you can't eliminate risk right you can just uh, you can just manage the uncertainty of it um which is what we are supposed to do yeah transparency and, and integrity is key um however the flip side of that is there is a period of time where obviously for the sake of your organization and potentially the situation you're in there um some of those cards do need to stay close to yeah, your yeah. chest so it's a it's a it's a fine balance but yeah, communication with with your customer base will be absolutely fundamental in in retaining that trust because um, I think it was mine that said it. You know, it, it, that it's reduction of that that a breach will happen at varying degrees depending on what that is, and and making sure you've got the solutions behind that to back it up is is fundamental. But yeah, integrity and and clear communications is key. Brilliant, guys. So I think we're going to leave it there. And um, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. And uh, really, I want to take this time to you know thank you guys for being on it. So Jonathan, Will, Martin. Uh, it's been a pleasure hosting this with you guys. You've made it a breeze, really. <laughs> it's been fantastic and a really interesting topic. Uh, so thanks for sharing your insights. If you're hiring for new roles or if you're looking for a new role within the security space, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Stephen Mann and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at Stephen with a PH dot man, M-A-N-N, at evolutionjobs.co.uk or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.